Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. Hi there, I'm Caroline Casper, and on behalf of the Equity Foundation and the Actors Benevolent Fund of New South Wales, I'd like you to welcome you to the Equity Foundation's Health and Wellness Series. This is our second part of our Resilience Series with the wonderful Dr Julie Crabtree. First of all, though, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nations and pay my respect to the traditional owners of country throughout all our country and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Kia ora to our New Zealand counterparts. We thank you so much for joining us today. Um, As we all know, the entertainment industry does differ in many ways from other industries. And indications are that we, as practitioners in the creative industries, are under serious mental health stresses. Our hope is that this series will go some way into unlocking and discovering methods to keep ourselves mindful, present, and to give us the tools as we deal with the challenges that we're facing in this COVID-19 world. Today's session will run for approximately an hour. As you know, it is being uh, recorded. So we've got a couple of questions for you as they come in uh, due to, we're having to pre-record due to um, scheduling craziness. Dr. Julie is getting super, super duper busy with with everything that's going on in the world. So we thank her so much for your time. If you have any follow-up questions, please email them through to us at info at equityfoundation.org.au and we will endeavour to get you your answers post the event. Okay, let's chat about the wonderful Dr. Julie Crabtree. Some of you may know her from our previous events, um, but Julie is the go-to person on health and well-being in the creative mind space. Her work in the creative industries with people draws on over 27 years of experience as a psychologist in both private practice and in organisations. She holds a doctorate in clinical psychology and her doctoral research into creativity and mental health means that she is at the forefront of our understanding of how to be both healthy and creative. By creative, we mean all of those who who work within the entertainment industries, crew, cast, producers, everyone. Without further ado, I'd like to throw to the wonderful Julie Crabtree and we hope that you enjoy today's session. Thanks, Julie. Hi, everyone. This is our second session of our kind of module on resilience. And we certainly, all of us need to develop our ability to be resilient in the face of just the changes that are happening. So last session, what we talked about was thinking about areas of mastery, growth and values. And the skills that I wanted you to begin to focus on is a skill of firstly awareness. So I left you with a daily mood chart, which was an opportunity for you to note down things about your sleep pattern, your mood, what have been going on for you? Because the question is, can you see patterns? For example, when you have less sleep, does your mood drop? Do you notice there's a particular rhythm to your low days or your better days? So we can't uh, change anything unless we're aware of it. The second thing that I introduced to you last time was the idea of of values. 
that you can begin to start to identify your values. You know, do you have a value in your family and friends and health and well-being? And if you do have those as values, how are you shifting and prioritizing those things in your life? We also talked about this idea of perspective, and that is helping us learn how to have a more resilient perspective in our life. So this module, we're going to be talking about things to do with emotion, and we're going to be looking at the skills of particularly flexibility and managing our emotions. So just to kind of briefly recap, we talked about resilience as being the capacity to tolerate disturbances without collapsing, to withstand shocks, to rebuild when necessary and to improve. So just as a thought right now, think about yourself since our first session and say, where do you think that you were able to be a little bit more resilient? And where do you feel that you were more vulnerable? It's good to celebrate and affirm our ability to be resilient in the face of different changes, uh, different things that, that can occur. Just want to recap this, and these are the, the different research-based vulnerabilities that we understand are associated with being a creative person. So researchers talk about it being divergent thinking, which is rapid, fluid thinking, able to make unique associations. We talk about that as fluid thought. Researchers talk about this idea of greater novelty seeking, greater openness to experience, that explorative kind of curious aspects to us. We talk about that as risk. Researchers talk about this reduced ability to filter out irrelevant and sensory information, which means that we are more open to information. We, we call that a skinlessness. Researchers talk about this term called neuroses, high neuroses, which all it means is that you feel your pain deeply and feel other people's pain deeply. Researchers talk about this idea of impulsive nonconformity, which is this, I guess, attitude and approach to the world where um, you don't like being told what to do. You want to think a little bit out of the box. You want to be somebody that is able to see the world in a new and different way. And researchers talk about this idea of resistance to premature closure, which is the word we use when we say that creative people are very comfortable with complexity, very comfortable, you don't necessarily need a black and white answer, but you are, you are comfortable with there being a gray in life. And that's something that researchers talk about, it's being associated with creativity. So we also introduce this idea of the different elements of, um, of how to be a resilient person. We talked about growth, mastery, and values last time. Um, this time, we're going to talk about the idea of flexibility um, with that. So we're understanding flexibility as being, firstly, the ability to self-regulate. Now, that's kind of a very sort of psychological term. And it just means that you are aware of your emotions and you learn skills to manage, um, uh, manage your emotions. We're going to talk about this idea of tidal living. We're going to talk about um, creativity, adaptability, and this particular idea of internal flexibility, which is 
how we manage the intensity of emotions that we may experience. Um, so I want to start with introducing this idea of tides. Now, you know, it may sound a really bizarre concept to talk about. And, you know, for those of us that may or may not live near the water, we understand, you know, there is a high tide and there is a low tide. And when it's um, high tide, um, things are covered. When it's low tide, things are a little bit more seen. Um, and we started to talk about some elements to do with creativity based on this idea of tides. Now, this came from some work by a very well-known researcher in the area of creativity called Csikszentmihalyi. And here's this wonderful, wonderful researcher that first talked about this idea of creative flow that I imagine that most of, most of you will be aware of. But he also did this study um, and he uh, investigated very experienced, mature, creative people that had you know, significant achievement. And he talked about the fact that they seemed to live in some sort of paradox or um, tension or move between two kind of opposing forces. And he identified 10 of these kind of these paradoxes or these forces that he said that creative people live between. Now we have developed this idea a little bit more and we have talked about the idea that creative people can often live a tidal life, which means that sometimes they're on the high tide, which means they feel great. They've got a lot of energy. They've got incredible confidence. Um, they can do a whole lot. And then, you know, they can go into their low tide, which can be feeling more withdrawn, feeling less great about themselves, feel they're a little bit more kind of focused on detail and, um, and move between these tides. I want to um, give you, I guess, a visual of um, what this can look like. And as you look at this visual, um, I want you to think about your own life and I want you to think about um, to, to what extent you feel that there is a rhythm or pattern in your life of high tide and low tide. Um, so this is um, a, a YouTube clip taken from um, an area, I think the Bay of Fundy, um, where they've got extremely high and low tides. And um, you can see at high tide, the boats are, you know, able to sail, do a whole lot of things. But at low tide, they're quite stuck. Um, they can't do the same things at low tide that they can do at high tide. And um, I guess it can remind us that it's helpful understanding the different things that we, um, we learn and understand about ourselves um, uh, if we understand a tidal existence. I, I want to give you our understanding of tides. Um, so this is based on the Csikszentmihalyi work. And what we identified is that for a creative person, um, in the area of your ego, which is um, how you see yourself, to get up on stage and perform 
to write, to do a whole lot of creative work, you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to believe that you've got something to offer. You've got to believe that you've got the ability and the skills. So we call that inflated. But in the same way, sometimes when we get off screen or get off stage, we can often, the first thing we go is, was that okay? I'm not sure how I did. And we can move from a, a really confident sense of ourselves to a very deflated sense of ourselves. In the same way with, with attitude, what we call attitude, that we talked about researchers understanding that you've got um, the need to not conform. And I see this so much with creative people that, um, you know, they'll need to dye their hair bright pink. They'll need to show um, difference um, in lots of different ways by how they dress, by how they behave, by how they think. And um, that nonconformity is an essential part of their creativity. But of course, if you live only in that place of nonconformity, you lose the ability to connect and be part of a tribe, be part of um, a, a, you know, a community. So creative people need to learn how to understand the nonconformity, but also know when it's appropriate to conform. In terms of thought, we, we talked about the idea that we have fluid thought, um, rapid fluid thinking, able to make unique associations, but we can't live in that place. So we also have the ability to have more structured thought. And that's, that's the disciplines of thinking we bring to our craft and our creativity. In the same way, we talked about sense and the fact that creative people are naturally skinless. Um, and I'm going to talk in a little bit more detail about this later. Um, but it, it's skinlessness is described as that, as that ability to do life with one layer of uh, skin missing, which means that you've got this vulnerability, this sensitivity, this ability to take in a lot of information. But if we live only in that place, honestly, we, we're not going to be doing well. So we have to learn when to insulate ourselves because it's not safe to be completely skinless in some environments. In terms of focus, um, there's times that we need to see very much a big picture. And then there's other times that we need to be very focused on detail. And for creative people, learning how to be both wide angle and zoom focused is important. In the area of emotion, particularly if you're a performer, then part of what you are asked to do is often connect with very intense emotions. And as we talked before, you feel things deeply. So you have this ability to experience intense emotions. But if you live in the world of intense emotions, it's gonna be destructive for you. And it's also gonna be destructive for the people around you. So we have to learn how to disconnect, calm, soothe, detach from our intense emotions. In terms of energy, there are times that we've got this surge of energy, um, you know, and um, a lot of creative people talk about this kind of manic creative flow that they experience. And certainly we know from history, somebody like a Michelangelo was in this kind of manic state of creativity when he painted the Sistine Chapel. Now we can't live all the time in that manic state. 
we have to learn how to move back into a more still state. Um, in terms of space, uh, that um, creative people often dis describe this kind of almost tension between chaos and order. For some creative people, their creative space is very ordered, but other parts of their world are chaotic. For other people, their creative space is very chaotic and they need it to be like that, but they need order in other aspects. I remember a, a, a musician who had a very, very chaotic life. He would live out of you know, cars and lounges and things like that, but he had meticulous order with his equipment meticulous order. And um, I think understanding uh, often, particularly in performance, what we're doing is a little chaotic in that we have to step on stage and create something. So we need order in other parts of our life. And when that order is not in place, we can feel very um, unsettled. The last thing we talk about is, is um, this idea of risk. And for, um, for the emerging creative person, particularly in, in, through teenage years, they, they often have this need for risk to explore, to seek novelty. Um, and um, often that can take them into unhelpful places. And as we mature as creative people, we understand um, when and how we take risk and when and how we create safety. And some uh, creative people, you know, for example, make choices about taking risk with their bodies. For example, they will take risk with their art, but they won't take risk with their bodies. Um, they may take risks in other ways of exploration, but um, they keep safety in their relationship. So um, understanding for, for you, you might go, oh, not a lot of this relates to me and I go, that's fine. There may be one or two that may connect to you or relate to you. And I guess we're talking about the way that creative people learn to manage these tensions and these rhythms, kind of like a tide, knowing when you're in high tide, for example, when you're very inflated and not conforming, where you're thinking very fast, when it's kind of big and intense, but also knowing when you need to kind of come down again. So in this session, we're going to be particularly talking about the, the aspect of sense, our skinlessness, and we're gonna be talking about the aspect of emotion. And we're going to be exploring some ideas of exposure, mindfulness, and being adaptable in, in those situations. So, in talking about this idea of sense um, and skinlessness, one of the things that can help us uh, not be resilient is in our skinlessness, we become very insecure. We can become very hypersensitive. We can become very reactive and we can become almost very paranoid. And this is, I think, uh, often a difficulty with those people who are highly creative and highly empathic and highly skinless in that you you end up having a lot of messages coming in that it's very easy to uh, misinterpret um, so skinlessness is living life with one layer of skin missing 
And from a neurocognitive point of view, it's um, reduced filtering mechanisms to take in more sensory information. So the best way of describing that is to think about yourself um, at, a, um, at a party or event, and you're talking to somebody, but somebody over in the corner, you know, I think we can have up to five, maybe 10, maybe more people. Um, so make that fit for the area that you're in. Um, somebody over in the corner mentions your name or mentions something else. And we shift our attention from the communication with the person in front of us to what's going on there. Um, it's called the cocktail party phenomena. And what that speaks to is the fact that we've got a part of our brain to do with attention that is constantly sifting out what is relevant and not relevant. And um, as soon as we heard uh, the person in the corner mentioning our names, that became relevant for us. And so we, we attended to it. But for creative people, their filtering mechanisms aren't as strongly developed. They are in that cocktail party, you would be far more likely to take in a lot more information. The sounds, the, um, the light, the different things that are going on. And I would include the, the uh, emotional material around you. You're not filtering as much out. And um, that can almost seem, um, seem overwhelming at times. And um, this is a, a quote from Ryan Reynolds. And it's a great quote. And he said, when I was a kid, I felt like oh, I was this skin covered antenna and I could never get this antenna down. I was so aware of everything around me. I would watch people looking for signs of danger all the time. It was so acute that I was really able to jump into other people's skins. From this vulnerability came opportunity. When I was 13, I parlayed that passion into a means of escape. So I think it's beautifully describing this idea or this metaphor of antenna. And um, I want you to imagine yourself with antenna happening all the time. And for people that aren't creative, um, they may have 50 antenna up taking in sensory information. For the creative, you've probably got 150 antenna that are just picking up a whole lot of information all the time. And that can become really overwhelming. It can also become... Um, you can get a whole lot of information that can lead to um, insecurity about yourself. It can lead to hypersensitivity about yourself. It can lead to that paranoia. You know, oh, that person didn't talk to me. Why didn't they didn't talk to me? What have I done to them? You know, I feel like I'm, you know, I've done something wrong. What, what have I done to offend them? You know, when I was, um, uh, when we're rehearsing the play, you know, the director didn't say that scene was really great. I don't know why they didn't do that. You know, we can become really hypersensitive. And it's kind of using the ability, which is the ability, as Ryan Reynolds said, to jump into other people's skins. Um, you need that sensitivity, but you also need to manage the hypersensitivity or the paranoia um, or the insecurity that can come with that. 
And, um, and so learning how to recognize when you're feeling incredibly overwhelmed by this um, is I think uh, one of the skill sets that we are um, encouraging you to develop. So one of the best um, skills that I think you can begin to learn is this idea of awareness and mindfulness. So as you're sitting there, um, and given that you've been practicing your awareness, I want you to ask yourself from an empathic sensory point of view, how are you? Um, how overwhelmed do you feel from a sensory point of view? Do you feel that there's been too much noise demand happening? Um, think of think of a visual example of you and your antenna. You know, do you have a whole lot of your antenna that are just bleeping red and, and saying it's too much, it's too much, and too much, it's too much? Um, or are you feeling like you're, you know, you're you're quite settled with that? Um, I think one of the things that can be really helpful for, for those in the performance industry is to recognize how overwhelmed they can get with noise. Um, our, our different worlds have become far noisier, far more demanding. And I think if you've got that skinlessness, it's like the frog in the boiling water. You're not aware of how much that intensity has increased unless you increase your awareness around it. And, um, and so learning to be aware of when you're becoming too overwhelmed, when you're feeling too skinless and you need to withdraw and retreat or insulate yourself as we, um, we were talking about before. This is a really helpful and simple exercise that you can do that is going to help, help you create mindfulness around those things. And it's um, a mindfulness exercise called 543. So I want you to, with me, imagine that um, you're going out for a walk or even now, you know, sitting where you are, where you are listening to this. And, um, and as you kind of go out for your walk, I want you to see five things around you. Um, what are those things? Is it um, particular flowers that are out? Is it, um, and what color are those flowers? What do they look like? Um, is it a particular tree, the shape of a tree that takes your attention? Uh, is it, you notice the different colors of the grass as you're moving along? Um, you notice the doors and the different colors of the doors. What is it? You just notice five things that you can see. Um, then you notice four things around you that you can hear. I think unnatural and artificial noises can tend to dominate and we lose that ability to tune into natural sounds but it can be incredibly helpful to tune in to bird sounds. I remember spending time when I could overseas and just waking up 
to different bird sounds and where I am now waking up again and, and hearing just the difference in bird sounds. Um, you know, this is for those in New Zealand. I remember a New Zealander said to me once, how come all your birds are so loud and insistent? Um, we don't have very, you know, often very kind of kind birds. We've got very loud and dominant birds. So noticing natural sounds, noticing the sound of water and just sitting and tuning into the sound of water, um, tuning in to the sound of other things. And I think particularly if you can tune into more natural sounds, the sounds of the rustling of the wind in the trees, the sound of rain, you know, so that you become aware of that sense. And then the last thing is how you feel. You know, on a walk, it would be the feeling of a, a warmth against your skin. It would be the feeling of the breeze. It would be feeling of the clothes are rubbing against you as you walk. What are three things that you can feel? And I said, these are sensory exercises because we're wanting to tune into our senses. We're wanting to tune into the natural environment that can help provide relief for our senses. Um, when we tune in to what is in front of us with our senses, we're not thinking about the past or the future, we're thinking about the now, we're learning to be present and we're learning to be mindful. And it's a way of helping us manage our, our senses and get, um, get more aware of what our senses are saying to us. And um, I would encourage you over the next week to continue your daily mood chart, but this time to note down your senses, what's happening with your senses, what are you aware of with your senses, your sound, um, what you can see, what you can feel, just so that you listen to that. Um, so that you can notice when you're feeling really assaulted in your senses and need to just quieten yourself, take time out. Um, the word we use in our title chart is skinless and insulated. We chose that word intentionally because it reminds you of, um, of being protected. Um, of having clothing that protects you. And in some ways with COVID, where we've seen people or maybe even worn protective clothing, it, it reminds us of what we need to protect our bodies. And I think it's an example of what you need to protect your senses because your senses are skinless. Your senses are what you need for your creativity. But sometimes that sensitivity can become too overwhelming. And I would also in your daily mood chart, notice when you have creeping um, insecurity coming in, when you have creeping hypersensitive coming in, when you've got creeping paranoia coming in. And the question, that you ask yourself is what's the evidence? It's a really powerful sentence. Actually question, what's your evidence? 
because it helps you reprogram your your senses to what is true and real rather than what is an, is unseen um, for example you know as you're doing your daily mood chart around senses and you notice that when you're on social media that somebody hasn't liked your post and you thought they would it's the and you can start to feel hypersensitive around that you know why haven't they liked it don't they like you anymore don't they think it's good and you can begin this sort of spiral you can stop and go what's the evidence you've got no evidence and you can start challenging those overwhelming thoughts around that and then you can do things like go for a walk and practice your mindfulness exercise i want to move on to the next thing we're going to talk about which is emotion and in our title chart we've got intense emotion and detached emotion and this is one of the things that i guess particularly as a performer you're aware of you are asked to engage in your emotions you're asked to go into a very intense emotional place and in some ways your your body responds to that intense emotion so how do you manage this world of intense emotion you feel things deeply you feel your own pain deeply and you feel other people's pain deeply so how do you manage this intensity of emotion without going into numbing without finding different ways to an unhelpful ways to to mute your intense emotions so the first idea i want to talk about is this idea of emotional flexibility and that is that you stretch out your ability to tolerate uncomfortable emotions cuz often when we're feeling intense pain we kind of intuitively go I can't bear it this is overwhelming i just can't stand it anymore you know this is just way too painful even saying to yourself i am developing my ability to tolerate uncomfortable emotions without numbing without reacting um that you encourage yourself to be the type of person that that is capable of intense emotions um and is capable of being able to tolerate those intense emotions and i think part of that is a decision to learn to manage your emotions when we when we're stuck on in intense emotions we can just be in this heightened state of reactivity and it can be very very destructive to those around us and i think learning to say these are my emotions even though i've been hurt i am going to manage i'm going to regulate my emotions i'm going to learn to take time out to settle my emotions and not act on this reactivity so um one thing we're going to look at it and obviously in this kind of context there's not a lot we can talk about in that that is safe to talk about but i do want to leave you with um an exercise that can be very very helpful when you do have heightened emotions and you don't know what to do with them um this is a, an incredibly helpful exercise to manage those stuck heightened intense emotions so the first thing again is the awareness when you become aware 
that you are feeling things. And I think for those that are particularly performers, um, you are so used to getting into role with the emotions that learning how to connect with your emotions can take time. What, what is your emotions and what is it somebody else's emotion? Um, so it's an awareness of emotions. Then the next thing is naming the emotion. Now we often say we're annoyed or we're frustrated or we're angry. And that's where it's helpful to ask ourselves what's underneath that. Because often they're kind of very um, obvious kind of surface emotions, but what we're feeling is something else like rejection, like hurt, like, um, you know, insecurity or even shame, um, guilt. Learning how to name those emotions can be really important. So I mentioned learning how to name emotion is an important quality of a resilient person. So we need to develop our ability to not just be aware, but to name and to kind of accurately name. So, so just going, oh, I just feel annoyed, but just go, okay, why are you annoyed? What's going on for you? What's another word for annoyed? Um, rejected? frustrated, disappointed, just finding those words. Then what I want you to do is explore the thoughts that are connected to that emotion. You know, I feel, um, I feel annoyed, but really what I feel is disappointed. So what are the thoughts connected to disappointed? Well, I thought that I would have been included in that. I thought that I would have been asked to be a part of that, and I didn't. Um, where did the emotions come from? It came from a feeling of not belonging, a fear of not belonging, a fear of not being accepted. So this is when you come to the point where you go, okay, I understand a little bit about those emotions. I'm going to accept without judgment that those emotions came from a place where I fear not fitting in, where I fear being ostracized. And they're often childhood feelings, but, um, but just accepting that that's where it came from. Then what you do next is connect it to um, how you are feeling physically. Because when you have emotions, your body reacts. How are you breathing? How is your body? what's happening in your gut, um, where, where are your muscles tensing up? So you just notice your body with those emotions. And again, it's, it's, it's connecting emotion, naming, exploring thoughts, accepting the thoughts, connecting it to emotions. And then what's helpful to do is just to um, see those emotions with the words on it, like, you know, rejection, like insecurity, like not belonging. Um, see those as balloons in front of you. And just take time with those balloons, breathe. Keep on breathing deeply and slowly as you think about those balloons. And when you're ready, just feel that that balloon of rejection you can let go of. As you keep breathing, 
that balloon of a kind of a, the, the emotion of not belonging, you can let go of that. The balloon of hurt, you can let go of that. Now, some, some emotions are going to be far more powerful that you can let go in that, that process. But it is a way for you to be able to begin to process your emotions, particularly your intense emotions. And learning those simple exercises that are going to help you um, learn to um, manage the intensity of your emotions. Now, I, I want to finish with just talking about what we've covered this session. We've We've started with awareness, increasing your awareness. We've, we've talked about understanding values and operating from a place of values. We've talked about learning perspective. Today, we've talked about this idea of learning to be tidal and recognizing when you are tidal. And in particular, we're focused on the idea of sense and recognizing that we are skinless in some way. Skinless in terms of our sensory information, skinless in terms of our empathic information. And we're learning again to be aware of when we're feeling skinless. And a part of our daily mood chart is noting down when we may be skinless. And what we've learned to do is a very sort of simple mindfulness exercise around our senses that will help us tune in to our sensory information and um, help us take care of our overwhelming sensory information. The next thing we've talked about is our emotions. And we know that particularly as performers, we are asked to have intense emotions, um, but learning how to manage them. And the first thing we do is taking responsibility for learning to regulate our emotions. Now that's not gonna be a quick thing and it's not something we can cover just in this session but one simple thing that we can do is learn to notice and name and process some of our emotions so when we're aware of intense emotions we can do that mindfulness exercise that i was talking about and i would encourage you to just write down those different things that i was talking about um, and over the period of time if you're if you do have intense emotions, that you do do the, um, that mindfulness exercise. So it's awareness of emotions, naming the emotions, exploring the thoughts, accepting um, without judgment, connecting your emotions to physical experience. And when you're ready, and as you keep breathing deeply, um, when you're ready, let the balloons go. So I would encourage you to practice managing your emotions over that period of time. So that finishes this session. What we're going to do next session is talking about being resilient in relationships. I'm gonna hand it back to Carolyn and um, I think there might be one or two questions. Over to you, Carolyn. Hi there, Julie. Yeah, we do have a question. He says, I've been away from the performance side of the industry for many, many years and have now found that spark again to throw his hat in the ring again. However, that thick skin audition resilience, and it wasn't just meant to be understanding, has faded. Hmm. In my head, I know it's not personal, but I'm finding it hard to believe it. Any advice? Hmm. Yes, any advice, Julie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think we, we talked about the fact to actually audition, you need to 
connect with your vulnerable and skinless part when you're performing. But then you need to be very good at putting your insulated self on pre and post. Because if you get the, the feedback or even the lack of feedback um, when you're open and vulnerable and skinless, then I think you can feel deeply distressed by it. And um, one of the things that I would encourage you to do is remember the you that would go into auditions. And that is the, the quiet, confident you that would know that you could go in there, you could deliver the audition, and then you could, you could have your installation on again. I would encourage you to remember that because um, our memory can be used to remind us of bad things, but our memory can be used to remind us of really great things. Mm. And so I would just remember all the times when you went in and felt confident and nailed to the audition because you're saying, I, I can do that and I've got the memory <laughs> and the evidence to support that. I did it then and I can do it again. So that would be one thing because as you click onto that memory, your body is responding appropriately. It's not responding through threat, threat or fear. It's responding through confidence and calm and being energized and feeling, feeling that sense of, I can do this. And even if I don't get the part, I'm, I'm going to deliver it the best way I can. I would also remember the thinking that you had attached to that. And, uh, and some of the thinking that I've heard from people is this idea of, in, in some ways it's not personal, personal. I'm just gonna go in and I'm going to just deliver the best I can do. I listened to a podcast from um, Jim Parsons and he had a great way of thinking about it, which was, he said, I know the parts that I auditioned for that I thought were in, you know, the parts that I could get. And he would say, um, these, these are some of the parts that I think I can get, but I'm in the top five. Rather than going, that's my part, I'm going to go in, I nailed it, I'm going to get it. And I thought that was a really great way of keeping yourself confident, of knowing what you can do, um, but also not feeling that whether you get accepted or not is, is, is going to determine your sense of self and identity. So I think that's another really great um, way of um, managing going back in to um to the audition process again so i try some of those techniques that's great i'm yeah thank you so much i'm sure tim that has um has helped with your question yeah. um I, can i just finish because there's just one other thing i thought of as well and that is i think it's helpful to visualize our insulation so i would it, it, we all creative people are great visualizers and you know whether you you sit down with a a pen and paper and draw out the insulation that you used to have prior prior to when you were used to audition so you can actually visualize it on yourself you know it's like in that huge big kind of american football armor with the big shoulders and the kind of big you know armor in front of you um you know there's things over your head you know what's What's your insulation? What does it look like? And visualizing it going in 
and visualizing it going out can help you connect with that idea of protecting yourself emotionally. Uh, Julie, would that help as well, say for, um... I'm thinking particularly of crew members who have very, uh, very highly stressful jobs. They, I mean, very often their job is to keep, particularly in theatre and and with film as well, is to keep people safe, to keep the production running. To, and sometimes, I mean, I'm wondering whether that sort of installation is is a good way of, of helping when they are feeling. Not what's the point, but but also like. Am I doing my job well enough? People that don't get a lot of feedback, that sort of thing, that can help them with that resilience of continuing on because mm. they, yeah, they may not be getting that feedback. And then, mm. then I, you know, naming those emotions, as you said, are, mm. you know, why they're, why they're feeling like that and also, mm. you know, kind of patting yourself on the back and going, I'm doing a great job even when no one tells me kind of thing. Yes, yes. And, and I think too there's... We know that we are very good at remembering the bad things. Yeah. We are not so good at remembering the good things. So we've got to work harder to remember the good things. And it's like developing almost that internal list of things that you remember, where people said good things, where you were affirmed, where you felt that you'd done the job really well, that you can recall um, in different times. I think that can be very, very helpful. Mm takes a lot of courage too doesn't it yeah. and and attention and discipline and management but but they're the things that resilient people do yeah you know? yeah yeah um i'm just i've got one that's from me actually um with the we have had some government support throughout covid19 but but the the initial lack of support from the government to the entertainment industry has kind of chipped away. Um, it sent us a message as part of the industry, but also society, greater society as a, as a whole, it's really sent them the message that we're not valued as an industry. Um, yes. And sometimes, hmm, how do we keep our resilience strong in the face of societal or government? Um, hmm. You're feeling like they don't care. Like you hmm. kind of go, well, what's the point? Why, hmm. why do we care so much? I guess it's just... I'm going to answer it myself, but it's like hanging hanging on to that resilience. Is there a are there are, you've been talking about all these methods? I guess naming the emotion, um, recognizing, so, find, so, finding out what's underneath it. I guess. So let's do that. We, we if yeah. you're comfortable with you, yeah, so for sure. What's the feeling you have? It's a feeling of. I've written the question. What's the point? It's like why why continue on? Why do we want if if society doesn't value what we do? Even though, I guess it's underneath it, it's not feeling valued and and a uh, it's not being seen. So I think it's if I'm going to delve real, I'm going to delve deeply into it. So it's it's discouragement, yeah, um, and then deeper than that. And then self-worth, it comes yes. down to, um, and I guess, looking for that self-worth. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. kind of low self-worth and devaluing. Mm. And, you know, we ride the waves of it. I don't, I, 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 in, through this thing, it's not all the time, but it's mm. like just lately it's like, whoa, when you, mm. yes, whoa, yeah. how, much, how much more, you know? Yes, yes. So it's, it's that initial discouragement. Mm. That, that takes you to that feeling of being devalued and, mm. and um, 
low self-worth. But also, um, and this is not necessarily emotion, but it's, it's probably to the, the next point, which is what's around it. Um, I, I, I mean, I think that a lot of creative people feel this, this sense of that they don't belong, you know, that they don't fit in, that people don't understand them. And, um, and I wonder if the, the message of no funding kind of touch some of those um, mm. beliefs around, you know, oh, well, I don't belong. People don't get me. You know, um, I did this thing and people just didn't get what I was doing. And that kind of very much that not belonging um, belief system that I've, I see a lot with creative people um, that developed either in their families or through schooling or through different things. Um, I, wonder, I wonder if it's connected to some of that. Yeah, that sounds very, that's, that's sort of resonating strongly, I think. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so in terms of the, the exercise, it's, we, it's you notice without judgment and you're going, that, that's where it's come from. It's come from this kind of deeper place mm -hmm. within me. And then you would then say, okay, how does my body feel when I'm feeling that discouragement, that disappointment, that sense of implied rejection? Um, mm. that sense of implied devaluing how is my body reacting to that mm. and then and then you just slow your breathing down uh, you think about those balloons you might want to have colors around the balloons the discouragement you know the the sense of implied rejection the devaluing and low self-worth the the not belonging and you have those in, in those balloons in front of you and you keep breathing and you just go, when you're ready, can you begin to let go the discouragement and disappointed? Because to what extent do you want to have the government's actions impact who you are? You know? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that forms, it, I'm using the government as an example, that, that support, but it's, mm. it's the message that gets out to the world. Like it yes. gets, it gets mm. out to all of us. It, and it's, as mm. we all know, you, we're riding those waves. It's not all the mm. time. It's just, yes. it just, it came up for me the other day and I went, oh, that's, mm. you have to work hard at yes. resilient, you like yes. to keep yes. resilient. And mm. um, yes, yeah. So it's that, that idea that this comes from this historical place of not belonging you know, and, and you, then you go, but where do I belong? Where am I affirmed yeah. and accepted? Yeah. Who are the people around me that get it and understand it? Yeah. And so it's, it's as you're ready, beginning to kind of let go of those things. And it's also speaking to that conformity issue that mm. you were talking about before as well. Yes, yes. Um, not yes. conforming and, mm. you know, yes. so balance, balancing them. All the time. I loved your. I loved the slides that had that had it in where you want to be in the middle and mm. extremes either side. It was a really mm. great image to keep everything balanced. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Please, if you have any questions that we can follow up for you in the ensuing sessions, email us at info at equityfoundation.org.au, and we will endeavour to get answers out to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And a huge thank you for Julie. And a big thank you to the Actors Benevolent Fund of New South Wales, without whom this series would not be possible. Keep your eyes peeled on our Facebook page and the e-bulletins and the Equity Foundation website for future events. Got more to come with Julie Crabtree. Thank you again. Thanks so much.
For more information about the work of the Foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter.